I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. changing and things are becoming crazier by the moment, but you can thrive and you can still experience happiness. If you like this podcast, please click subscribe. Your likes and comments really help this podcast stay as a top iTunes podcast. For more inspiration and happiness, make sure you check out the website, beyoufindhappy.com, B-E-Y-O-U, findhappy.com. Well, I am Dr. Randall Bell, and uh, I grew up in Southern California and had, in large ways, a idyllic uh, childhood, but I was born with a congenital heart defect and, um, and uh, kind of forgot about it after my heart surgery at age 11, got into a career where I studied disasters and met people that had been through some really big traumas uh, with cases like the World Trade Center and uh, everything else. Uh, the Flight 93 crash site, and I became very fascinated with the people behind the statistics. And inadvertently, I kind of came to terms with my own trauma by by really visiting with people that have been through some really horrible things. I'm so intrigued by this this kind of work as a psychotherapist. Um, that being said, you know one of the interesting things that I hear comes up a lot, um, and I don't know if it's just like a tool, gratitude, or what, but people will often say you know, I'm having a bad day and then someone else is having a worse day. Or, you know, people say, I've got a difficult thing going on in my life. And people say, well, be grateful that you aren't, blah, blah, you know. Um, and and it's, in, it's interesting to me how, um, you know, trauma, uh, tragedy, tragic events and grief, loss, you know, those sorts of things. Um, I really think that in the moment they feel pretty heavy regardless of what they are. Um, and then it's kind of the recovery that defines who we are, um, as people. I, what are your thoughts on that? Where, where do you think about that? What do you think about that? Well, I think you're right on the money because those kind of comments that, you know, get over it or toughen up buttercup, those are not, those are not helpful, helpful comments. And, you know, I've been guilty of saying that to my own kids. So, uh, you know, we need to be heard. We need to be validated and everybody's trauma is valid. You know, one thing that might not bother you might crush my world and vice versa. And so um, it's really important to listen to people and uh, and meet people where they are, because everybody's trauma is valid. And, and so different. I mean, you know, and I, I really I really do think that our um, our upbringings kind of shape what our maximum level of burden is. You know what I mean? Um, my mom used to always say something to me um, when I was a kid. She would always say, God, God won't give you more than you can bear. And, um, I, I always found that to be an interesting phrase, like, and, and I don't know if it means that you'll have the tools and resources that come what you're, go- what you're going through, or if you won't be given more than you can bear, because I think some of the things that people like nine 11 survivors have been through and stuff. And, um, that seems like a little bit beyond my maximum, you know, but, but maybe the human body is surprising. I think we are resilient, but I would agree with you very much that, you know, sometimes we get things that are just unbearable. 
Um, and I, I don't know who made up, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not one to be able to speak for what God uh, uh, feels about it. Um, but I, I look at it from things from my situation and the people I've met, some things are just absolutely overwhelming and unbearable. And I think we need to respect that. I mean, you know, I've worked on cases like uh, the Sandy Hook school shooting or the Pulse nightclub mass shooting. Those are just horrific. And they're they're frankly so off the scale um, that it puts people through really unbearable grief. And I think we, again, need to really respect that reality and not dismiss it or minimize it. And so so talk to me about how you kind of help people through some of these uh, some of these traumas. And one of the interesting things, I actually have a case right now as a psychotherapist where uh, the sibling went through the completely tragic, utterly um, unimaginable event. Um, and the sibling is now dealing with kind of the trauma of all of that. Um, so so how do you help people through these kinds of life experiences. And also I want to, after that, I want to spend a little bit of time and talk about the, the, um, the idea that we're all, we've all kind of been for the past year and a half in like some level of fight or flight that's not ending. <laughs> so yeah. uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about that too, but how, how do you help people in, um, you know, kind of immediately following, uh, you know, finger pointable events? Yeah, I mean, I, in terms of perspective, I, I mean, you're you're an expert in your field and I am not. And I'm a sociologist. I, I more have connected with people that have been through horrific uh, traumas, but I'm not a trauma coach. And, I, you know, uh, but what I've researched from really brilliant people who have done an enormous amount of uh, study in this area is that there's uh, basically 15 steps of trauma recovery. And so in my book, Post Traumatic Thriving, I, I, there's one chapter for each one of these stages. It starts out with shock. And the, the first thing is to really understand the, the physiological thing that we're going through with the fight, flight, freeze response and really what's going on. When we go into shock, that is nature's way of protecting us. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because it, protect, uh, it protects us. And we really need to you know, visit that and, and go through all the stages of grief, whether it be denial, bargaining, uh, anger. These are all normal emotions that that should be expected. So, uh, and normally people kind of land on depression once they've kind of, you know, gone through some really horrific trauma. And again, that's completely normal. It's totally okay. Um, but if we're stuck for two or three months, uh, more than two or three months, we really need to seek professional help because we shouldn't remain in that state, you know, uh, indefinitely. So my approach is to uh, you know, identify all these stages and and acknowledge them for what they are. They're all healthy. They're all normal. There's nothing to feel ashamed about. And you move from what I call the dive stage into the survive stage where you get back on your feet. Um, and then ultimately, I've been focused on the thrive stage, which is where people not only get back on their feet, but they then do something really remarkable. And um, it's more than bouncing back. It's really blasting off. So that's the big picture of what I go through in, in, in the book. And then, and of course, I've got a number of very practical tips, which I'm happy to share uh, in terms of how we kind of get back on our feet and how we really kind of uh, uh, use the energy from the trauma to do something really big. Oh, so many things. Um, I definitely want you to share the tips. But prior to that, as you were talking, a couple of things um, that were coming to mind. The first one is, 
you know, when we look at the traditional five stages of, you know, grief and loss recovery, um, you know, one of the important things that I think we forget is that it's not linear. You know, we can bounce back and forth through these and um, even, you know, months later can have something that kind of puts us back into one of those spots. And I see this often when people have been through a trauma and then they have to appear at court six months later or a year later yeah. or whatever. And then it's like, hey, they're right back into the angry phase or the denial phase or whatever. And so I think it's important. And you kind of touched on this is that, you know, a story spoken is the path to healing. And I think that, you know, for so long, it was taboo to to seek help. To want to be in contact with a are you there yeah 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 you would cut out i'm sorry i missed the second part of it um but I got the gist of it. I, I, as far as sharing your story, that really resonates. One of the principles, in fact, it's the very first principle I talk about in the book, is that trauma recovery is not a solo uh, exercise. You got to reach out to other people and you've got to accept help. And the exercise, what I call it, and I learned this in San Quentin Prison as a volunteer up there, is what we call sitting in the fire and sitting with somebody that you trust and really sharing your story completely. I, ideally, it's a therapist because therapists, as you know, um, don't you know have licenses that they lose if they share you know the information and they know how to respond appropriately uh, rather than your best friend who might start launching into anecdotal advice that could be very harmful. So you got to sit in the fire and tell your story, and that is really number one in terms of trauma recovery. Um, you know, and one of the things that I think about as you're talking is even in spite of the fact that, you know, therapy isn't as taboo as it used to be. I think about certain, certain traumatic situations where people feel a lot of shame or embarrassed. And one of them that comes to mind is abortions, you know, where there's been so much uh, opinion surrounding it or shame or guilt surrounding it, that some of those voices stay silent for lifetimes and the ways in which those start to bleed out psychosomatically in everyday life, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a big difference between shame and guilt. Shame is where something happened to us of which, you know, we we had no responsibility in it. Like, for example, I felt shame about, you know, having heart surgery when I was a kid. I was just born with that. Guilt is where we did something wrong. And that's something, you know, for people to make their own decisions about. But um, but, you know, it's it, certainly in the prisons and the homeless shelters where I volunteered. You know, shame is a big thing where people grow up in families with not enough money. And that can be very traumatizing. Or dad, you know, my dad was in prison. That was remarkably embarrassing. Well, the, the child had nothing to do with that. Uh, you know, guilt is where we did something wrong. And I'm not in a position to judge anybody's decisions. Um, but I can say either way, the first step is what we call sitting in the fire and talking about it. And, and then the second thing is... Um, the deep breathing grounding exercises, those are profoundly helpful. There's over 12 studies that have come out of Harvard University with Dr. Sarah Lazar uh, out of uh, Harvard Medical School. 
that simply deep breathing exercises resets that, you know, sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system uh, and, and really creates a lot of healing. So you can call it yoga. You can call it meditation. You know, you can call it anything you want. Uh, we call it grounding. But deep breathing exercises, while very simple, are profoundly helpful in the, in the healing process. So I think I think this is something that I've been kind of um, working through a lot as a psychotherapist and somebody with an incredibly metaphysical spiritual podcast um, that's rooted in these ideas of um, happiness. You know, I'm starting to be very careful with my own language because I think that sometimes, and and you touched on this. You know, you call it grounding. I think sometimes. Um, People can be fearful to try a certain methodology that can be healing because of the associations of the terminology, you know? Um, and so really at its core, um, when, when it comes to breathing, I mean, one of the most spectacular things is that it is our life force, no matter how you look at it without it, you're not living. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I think, I think that that's a, a, you know, just at its most fundamental. And if we just look at what happens to the human body in stressful situations or fight or flight freeze situations, one of the first things that changes is our breathing. Um, whether we're holding it, it's rapid, you know, whether it's very calm. And I know for me personally, um, it, it's interesting. Uh, most of the listeners on this podcast know that I'm an aviator in the process of becoming a licensed pilot. And, uh, you know, I was sent out on a solo my body did when it started getting turbulent was I started rapidly breathing autonomous, you know, not, not in control. And so to, to ground, well, very not grounded in the air, um, but to tap into that space of, Hey, this is something that I have control over and have control over it by, but by slowing my breathing, by being mindful of my breath, I can actually calm my entire nervous system down and did. Um, so it's, it's really a profound tool. I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. You're, uh, I'm so glad you shared that because that's a, nervous uh, situations or feel anxiety as few as six deep breaths will measurably change uh lower our blood pressure and i actually have a blood pressure cup and i've tried this many times and it always works deep breathing is again very simple people forget about it and sometimes because it's simple we we dismiss it because it can't be that effective it's that simple it is that powerful and uh six breaths ten breaths really will literally measure dramatically lower blood pressure. We got to keep that in mind as we go through this thing we call life. I, I always tell my couples, I say, if you guys want to fight, go ahead and do it, but do it after five deep breaths. <laughs> and, and it's, I like that. it's interesting how after five deep breaths, you're kind of in a space where it's like, ah, yeah, I don't really, I don't think I really want to argue about that anymore. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, another, another really powerful one is the alternate nostril breathing. I don't know if you guys practiced uh, that through the different things that you do, but um, that's really powerful too. Another thing that you had kind of hinted at, which I, I find um, to be a great resource when I'm working with people that have dealt with some sort of loss or tragedy is um, creating legacy. And I know you didn't express it this way. You expressed it as, as thriving after the event. But, um, you know, I think if, if, if the event isn't for naught, if there's something that comes of it and legacy doesn't have to be a television show or a movie, you know, it could be something very small, but if there is something that is, that is associated with in memorandum or in memorandum of the experience or in memorandum of overcoming the experience or whatever, some type of legacy tied to it to where it wasn't for naught, I think that could be really powerful too. What are your thoughts on that? 
Uh, I, I agree. Legacy is a big, big deal. And uh, yeah, we're all put on earth, I think, for some kind of purpose. And, you know, quieting down the soul, deep breathing exercises, kind of connecting to, you know, ourselves and finding that purpose uh, is really important. When I talk to the homeless shelter, I tell them uh, uh, what I call the full glass theory. And they they have this glass, as we all do, and their glass, you know, in a homeless shelter can be, you know, full of a lot of dark, you know, garbage. And I tell them, you know, frankly, I'm not that interested in your garbage. You know, you can share that with somebody at some other time. But what I'm talking about are solutions. And by creating a legacy, by picking those things that we are here that, that resonate with us and create a purpose for our lives as we pour in those daily habits of building our legacy and doing things that are good, the bad stuff naturally displaces. We don't have to worry about it. It will naturally go away as we keep pouring in new healthy habits, new healthy uh, ideas, um, exercising, reading books at the library, all these things that are actually don't cost a dime, but are very, very powerful at kind of, you know, putting our, getting our lives back on track. Uh, that's kind of the way I look at it. And ultimately, yeah, um, the, the whole experience is to thrive and, and do what we're really cut out for uh, in some, some healed state. That's not to say that uh, once we are there, that I say throughout the book a hundred times probably, that's rinse and repeat. You do revisit t- uh, flashes of anger. You visit moments of depression. But overall, the trend should be upward and onward. And that's what it's all about. We don't forget about the trauma, but we get through it and we get through it by by dealing with it in healthy ways. You know, one of the things I talk a lot about on this podcast and, and you know, my my clients, um, you know, they find their way to me because I, I'm not a I'm not a proponent of letting someone stay stuck in their victimhood um, because your victimhood makes you a hero to someone else. You know, you living through your experience becomes something that can help someone else. And so I I totally concur with you that the trajectory has to be onward, even if there are moments of backwardsness. Completely agree. You know, I I just was (laughs) I had a triple A guy at my car with my car because my battery died on one of my spare cars. Uh, And uh, and and as we sat there for 20 minutes waiting for it to charge, he was he was married to a tattoo artist and he he. Apparently, uh, you know, she she did a lot of her work on him. And I was kind of curious about, you know, what what the meaning and significance was, because his uh, his tattoos are really colorful and and intriguing. And I said, you know, I've been thinking about having a tattoo on my to cover up my surgical scar from heart surgery. And he looked at me, says, why would you want to cover it up? That's part of your story. Uh, You know, just embrace it. You know, and uh, uh-huh. and I, you know, that's you know, we try. One of the biggest problems we have is we try to bury the stuff and not talk about it, which is what at least my parents taught me. You know, you know, don't we don't talk about that? That's nonsense. That's a myth. By talking about it, we heal and we become authentic. And I've seen it over and over again. When people open up, find that trusted person, sit in the fire, have those difficult uh, uh, conversations. Uh, they heal from stuff that they balled up inside for decades. And it's a really a miraculous thing to see uh, the transformation by, by that simple step alone. Exactly. And that, and that's exactly what we we're kind of touching on earlier is that the story spoken is the path to healing. And I think that you brought up a good point that, you, you know, not everybody needs to be in the center of your target. Some people are just not safe to talk to. Um, you yeah. know, we all have that relative or friend that just ends up yelling at us about it somehow. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, or, or not holding a safe space. And so that's where I do think that somebody trained can be good. And sometimes, you know, just your average, you know, the grandpa down at the coffee shop kind of can be a great, great space holders, you know, especially, um, older people that have been through so much in their lives. Uh, some of them, you know, on, on the planet today have lived through world wars, et cetera. Um, in talking about and kind of switching gears here and just spending a little bit of time talking about when we think of disaster, right? We think of a tsunami, a hurricane, an earthquake, a, a Sandy Hook kind of situation, a 9-11. But truly, on some level, this is what I'm witnessing as far as uh, just humans on the globe and how they're kind of handling this and how maybe it's spurring other traumatic or tragic events, you know, how it's linked to various different things we're seeing with crime, et cetera. Yeah, there, there's so many things going on in the world. The problem is back in the day, you know, when television was more limited, I, and I remember those days, you know, we weren't re-traumatized or traumatized by watching TV and things that were going on on the other side of the world. Now we have all this trauma from all over the world being, you know, coming right into our living room. And, and that can be a problem. I think uh, one of the solutions, frankly, is to kind of limit your intake of secondary trauma and other people's trauma uh, and and be aware of ourselves and maybe turn off the TV when it becomes overwhelming. Obviously, the whole world's traumatized by this COVID thing. But what's amazing, you know, I worked on this book for 10 years and, and before COVID was even a thing. And then the book happened to come out when COVID came out. That was just a uh, weird coincidence. But the thing is, is that whether it be a chronic trauma or an acute trauma or COVID, the, the solutions are basically common denominators to all three. And the solutions are like what we're talking about, sitting in the fire, uh, deep breathing exercises, uh, experimentation with different hobbies or interests. Uh, and there's a whole you know, pattern of self-care we can, we can go through. Uh, the fundamental, stay fundamental. Our, my, my particular uh, profession, we deal on really large scale disasters and they get very, very complex. And we have a motto in my office that the more complex the case, the more we get back to basics. And so what we can have these long, complex conversations about, about trauma, really to practically heal from them, we got to accept the fact that we got to get back to the basics because they really work. Oh, my goodness. I love this so much for a number of reasons. Um, you know, uh, people that kind of follow this podcast or follow me on social media or whatnot, they know that when they come into my space, um, it's going to be very simple. It's going to be very basic. I'm not going to buy into the chaos and all of the um, kind of fear perpetuation that goes on, because if it's not immediately in front of me, there's really not much that I can control within it. And there's really no sense in wasting that space. Um, So, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of mitigating risk, but I'm not a big proponent of mitigating risk that might not ever happen. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so I love what you said there. And, um, you know, where I live in a, in a rural area in the Sierra Nevadas, um, what we don't, you know, we don't, we're not really affected by a lot of what you kind of refer to as the secondary trauma. We, we aren't. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. I think that we have created worlds where we can reach the very broad corners and tippy edges of places that, Maybe humans weren't supposed to travel. Maybe we are supposed to, and I don't mean as in quit traveling and don't enjoy the world, but I mean, you know, spend time in your community, spend time being present, spend time with what's directly in front of you. And I think one of the ways 
uh, secondary trauma becomes such a problem is that people feel helpless. And so uh, bring it in closer to home. How can you help your local community? What can you do to get involved to where you're feeling like you're offering something? Thoughts on that? I, I think uh, that's brilliant because uh, because we can't solve the world's problems. And, and, you know, I'm working on these horrific cases that are overwhelming and oftentimes the damages, which we calculate in my in my firm, are in the billions of dollars. And, wow. and it, you, you can have a sense of being overwhelmed. And, and I can't solve and nobody can solve, you know, uh, large scale problems like that. All we can do is work through them and do the best we can. But what I can do is when I'm at the gas station, I can buy a, a sandwich for the homeless guy. You know, what I can right. do is I see somebody who looks like they're lonely, maybe go see if they want to talk to someone, be a friend. And, and I don't even have to be the answers. I can simply listen. Uh, that might help them out. You know, there's a number of things we can do all day long. Maybe at the cash register uh, at the grocery store, I can uh, more than go through the routine. Hi, how you doing? Thank you. Goodbye thing. And maybe say something interesting to brighten up this person's moment for, you know, uh, a minute while we're together uh, at the cash register. There's little things we can do all day long that um, that can make a difference. I and, love yeah, we can't he handle everything, but we can do we can do something. You know, these fires that are that are going throughout California, where I live, you know, one of them obliterated an entire community. You, people, oh, what you know, they feel helpless with these big fires. There's nothing I can do. I'm not a firefighter. I'm not this or that. Well, you, you can, you, you know, you can cook some food and bring it down to where the firefighters are stationed, mm -hmm. as example, you know, or not. and obviously these days there's sorts of rules on food prep and stuff, but that's you know, such a point that it can simply be taking it a step further than just saying, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good too. And actually asking someone, are you, what's the best part of your day today? What's the best thing in your life today? Yeah. And, and yeah. And getting involved with the community. I love that concept you brought up a moment ago, because in, in our office, there's a homeless shelter in town uh, down the street. Um, and once a month, our office gets together in the kitchen here in the offices and we prepare a nice, a really high quality, nice dinner for our friends who are homeless. And we take it down and we not just drop it off. We we visit. We, you know, that's a part of the that's part of the, the help is this. You know, saying hello and, and visiting with people and getting to know them the best we can. With COVID, that's been a little uh, strained uh, in terms of all that. But but there's certain things anybody can do to reach out and make everything better. And that's frankly really important for trauma recovery is to get kind of beyond ourselves, look to something bigger than ourselves, humanity uh, and, and others around us, people in society that are marginalized. When we start, you know, looking for and looking for opportunities to help those people, that is uh, actually inadvertently helps us with our trauma recovery. <laughs> it's interesting, this balance, isn't it, between woe and woe is me. <laughs> like, um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to say, like, I can be in my pain and I can also not be in my pain. I can be both. I, I can be both of these things. Yeah, that's true. And no matter how low we go with whatever trauma we've we've experienced, there's uh, there's always somebody that we can still help that may, you know, in some respect or another may, may be in a more difficult place. And uh, I've noticed going back to an earlier comment that you said that really resonated with me is that when you go through trauma, you, you develop a new empathy for others and reaching out to those others, sharing your story, uh, your trauma can actually be very beneficial. I was, I was on, on the board of directors with uh, the Nicole Brown Simpson charitable foundation and, you know, with Denise Brown and, and the loss of her sister, Nicole, 
And she put a lot of energy into educating women who were in these battered, you know, uh, uh, spousal abuse uh, situations, which are obviously very ugly. And I can't tell you how many people came up to her and thanked her profusely for the education she provided and the courage to get out of these toxic relationships. So as horrible as it was for Denise to lose her sister, um, she did something really positive about it. And that's something that's really inspiring as we kind of all work through, you know, our traumas. And I, I think to your point, you know, people often think that you have to be a celebrity to make a difference or you have to be this or that, you know, just, just being friendly to your neighbor can be enough because you don't know what your neighbor has going on. You know, ju just, just reaching out in that way can make a huge difference in someone's life. Absolutely right. And yeah, Denise, remember, was not, she was unknown. Nobody knew her until that trial. And uh, and she didn't squander the limelight in the energies she did. But you're right. A, a lot of things we can do um, for our neighbors, for the homeless shelter down the street, for the inmates who are incarcerated, for, you know, uh, all kinds of opportunities all around us. Um, if we pick what's right for us and, and lend a helping hand, we're actually helping ourselves in, in, the, in the process. Well, and I think one of the things that we think about, I mean, is that we have to go to the person who's hurting the most. And I, and I think that is maybe even a misguided belief, um, you know, because the mom of three kids who seems to have it all together might be the person in your life that you can help the most. You know, it may not appear it. And I think that's I think that's something important, too. You know, it doesn't have to be the person who appears to have the biggest tragedy going on. Well, yeah, exactly. It can just be a kid who feels lonely on the playground. It can be it can be the next door neighbor. It can be the cash register at the grocery market. There's opportunities all around us. And or it may be the person who's uh, over the top happy, but they're really doing that to mask a lot of pain. It can be anyone. And uh that's why we shouldn't judge and and be there for, you know, wherever, you know, we connect with somebody that we can help. Right. Hey, one of the things I really just want to touch on, because I, I, I feel this intensely and I and I know others that I kind of talk to about these sorts of things do, too. You know, tragedy happens. Everybody comes together. And then within a month or two, there's something else bigger and better on the news that people are kind of it, it's forgotten. It's it's gone. It's out of people's mindset. Um what do you experience with the people who are in this process and how can maybe people who are listening um, become actively involved in a way where, you know, these that we do somehow kind of follow up or check in after the fact when things have died down and the emergency response is kind of gone? You know, it's so interesting you ask that because uh, uh, right now at this time, I'm working on the uh, case in Houston where the people's homes were flooded, Hurricane, uh, yes. uh, well, I worked on Hurricane Katrina, but Hurricane Harvey. And yes. after the news cycle, let me tell you, uh, you know, we switched the channel and we're thinking about something else. And to this day, there are people that have still not rebuilt their homes. Um, right. And and so I think what you're getting at is how do I be there long term authentically for as long as it takes for this person to go through a trauma and, you know, a quick pat on the back and you're off isn't going to do it or saying to a soldier, I appreciate your service. What might be better is sitting down with that soldier and really listening to their story 
and sticking with them as they kind of process through horrific things that they went through. So having that long-term, I'm here for you, um, you know, authentically and however it longs to heal is a really important perspective. Gosh, you know, as we're talking, I'm just thinking, this is how my mind works. I'm always creating stuff. I have a nonprofit that is, um, you know, actively involved with kids and things like that. But I, but I think as I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking, why isn't there, and maybe there is a pen pal situation for trauma people where, you know, like, uh, Hey, do you want to, do you want to provide a lending ear to someone who lost their home in hurricane Harvey and connecting people in this way or something? Gosh, wouldn't that be amazing? That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll yeah. start it. Uh, <laughs> go. <laughs> maybe I'll start it through the BU find happy podcast, the BU find happy pen pal. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I, yeah, but it you know, that needs to happen. Like, you know, like uh, the families of the 13 soldiers or the families of Hurricane Katrina or the families of Hurricane or of uh, Sandy Hook or whatever, like match someone up that they can have that ear. Gosh, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, because people need more than, you know, the, the, the people that provide the blankets and the food and, and all of that. That's that's so important. And uh and obvious, but people, you know, that, but, you know, helping out in that way isn't for everyone, but maybe writing a pen, having a pen pal from somebody who's been through something like that or, or something to make sure we cover all the bases, whether it's financial or physical or emotional or spiritual, whatever it is, uh, you know, contributing in, in one of those ways that that's, that's really terrific. That's just it. I'm starting a BU find happy pen pal. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm starting it for, for people that have had a, you know, survived a tragedy and, and are looking for someone to be able to talk to in the long term. Gosh, that's happening. We're doing that. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and inspiring a whole new thing that I, that is now going to you know take some of the time that I absolutely do not have. <laughs> I, it's, I, you, you get all the credit. I, uh, I'm, but I was glad I was here to witness it. oh listen um how can people learn about your new book and kind of um learn about these awesome 15 suggestions that you have for you know just even everyday life how can people find you well i'm at drbell.com i'm easy to find i I love the conversation i love hearing from people who have read the book uh and and have found it helpful um my uh so that's how people find me. The book's everywhere. It's on Amazon, Post-Traumatic Thriving. It's at every bookstore. Um, we're about to come out with a hardbound version and also do the uh, audio book. But it, it's, uh, the paperback's everywhere right now. And uh, for those of you that are listening and maybe thinking, gosh, you know, I haven't been through one of these tragedies that they're talking about. Remember that tragedy comes in all shapes, forms, and sizes. And um, your story is is just as tragic to you. So so don't hesitate to pick up the book. And Dr. Bell, thank you so much for coming on the BU Find Happy podcast. And I look forward to seeing all of the stuff that continues to come out from your life experience. I appreciate the invite and I, I love your idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, watching for your pen pal idea. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great day. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.